Chapter Seven of the Fundamental Doctrines of the Christian Faith by R. A. Torrey. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Read by Marianne. Chapter Seven: The Deity of the Holy Spirit and the Distinction Between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. I spoke in a previous chapter on the personality of the Holy Spirit. We saw clearly that the Holy Spirit was a person. Incidentally, I referred to his deity in passing, but did not dwell upon it. So the question remains is the holy spirit a divine person and still another question if the holy spirit is a divine person is he a separate and distinct personality from the father and the son we shall consider this morning what the bible teaches upon these points one the deity of the holy spirit we take up first the question of the deity of the holy spirit the fact that the holy spirit is a person does not prove that he is divine there are spirits who are persons but who are not god there are five distinct lines of proof of the deity of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God. The first line of proof of the deity of the Holy Spirit is that each of the four distinctively divine attributes are ascribed to the Holy Spirit in the Bible. There are four distinctively divine attributes. That is to say, there are four attributes which God alone possesses, and any person who has these attributes must therefore be God. The four distinctively divine attributes are omnipotence, omniscience, omnipresence, and eternity. First of all, omnipotence is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. For example, in Luke chapter 1, verse 35, And the angel answered and said unto her, The Holy Spirit shall come upon thee, and the power of the Most High shall overshadow thee, wherefore also that which is born shall be called Holy, the Son of God. This passage plainly declares that the Holy Spirit has the power of the Most High, that he is omnipotent. In the next place, omniscience is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. This is done, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. But unto us God revealed them through the Spirit, for the Spirit searcheth all things, yea, the deep things of God. For who among men knoweth the things of a man, save the Spirit of the man, which is in him? Even so the things of God none knoweth, save the Spirit of God. Here we are distinctly told that the Holy Spirit searcheth all things, and knoweth all things, even the deep things of God. We find the same thought again in John chapter 14, verse 26. But the Comforter, even the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things, and bring to your remembrance all that I said unto you. Here we are distinctly told that the Holy Spirit teaches all things, and therefore must know all things. This is stated even more explicitly in John chapter 16, verses 12 to 13. I have yet many things to say unto you, but ye cannot bear them now. Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he shall guide you into all the truth. In all these passages it is either directly declared or unmistakably implied that the Holy Spirit knows all things, that he is omniscient. In the third place, omnipresence is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. We find this in Psalms 139, verses 7 to 10. Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in Sheol, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning, and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, and thy right hand shall hold me. Here we are told in the most explicit and unmistakable way that the Spirit of God, the Holy Spirit, is everywhere, that there is no place in heaven, earth, or Hades whither we can go from his presence. Eternity is also ascribed to the Holy Spirit. This we find in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 14, where we read, How much more shall the blood of Christ, 
who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish unto god cleanse your conscience from dead works to serve the living god here we find the words the eternal spirit just as elsewhere we find the words the eternal god for example deuteronomy chapter thirty three verse twenty seven putting these different passages together we see that each of the four distinctly divine attributes the four attributes that no one but god possesses are ascribed to the holy spirit the second line of proof of the true deity of the holy spirit is found in the fact that three distinctively divine works are ascribed to the holy spirit that is to say the holy spirit is said to do three things which god alone can do the first of these distinctively divine works that are ascribed to the holy spirit is the work which we always think of first when we think of god in his work that is to say the work of creation we find creation ascribed to the holy spirit in job chapter thirty three verse four the spirit of god hath made me and the breath of the almighty giveth me life we find the same thing implied in psalm one hundred and four verse thirty thou sendest forth thy spirit they are created and thou renewest the face of the ground in these two passages creation the most distinctively divine of all works is ascribed to the holy spirit the impartation of life is ascribed to the holy spirit this we find for example in john chapter six verse sixty three it is the spirit that quickeneth the flesh profiteth nothing we find the same thing again in romans chapter eight verse eleven but if the spirit of him that raised up jesus from the dead dwell in you he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his Spirit that dwelleth in you. In this passage we have not merely impartation of life to the Spirit of man, but the impartation of life to the body in the resurrection of the body ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Man's creation and the impartation of life to a man are ascribed to the operation of the Holy Spirit in the first book of the Bible, where we read in Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, And Jehovah God formed man of the dust of the ground, and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life and man became a living soul here we are told that man was created and became a living soul through god's breathing into him the breath of life this clearly implies that it was through the instrumentality of the holy spirit for the holy spirit is the breath of god going out in a personal way the third divine work ascribed to the holy spirit is the authorship of divine prophecies we find this for example in second peter chapter one verse twenty one for no prophecy ever came by the will of man, but man spake from God, being moved by the Holy Spirit. Here we are distinctly told that it was through the operation of the Holy Spirit that men were made the mouthpiece of God and uttered God's truth. We find this same thought also in the Old Testament in Second Samuel chapter 23, verses 2 and 3. The Spirit of Jehovah spake by me, and his word was upon my tongue. The God of Israel said, The rock of Israel spake to me. In this passage, also, the authorship of God's prophecies is ascribed to the Holy Spirit. Taking these passages together, we see that three distinctively divine works are ascribed to the Holy Spirit. The third line of proof of the deity of the Holy Spirit is found in the fact that passages which refer to Jehovah in the Old Testament are taken to refer to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. There are numerous instances of this, not as numerous as in the case of Jesus Christ the Son, and yet enough to make it perfectly clear that the Holy Spirit occupies the same place in New Testament thought which Jehovah occupies in Old Testament thought. A striking illustration of this is found in Isaiah chapter 6 verses 8 to 10. Compare Acts chapter 28 verses 25 to 27. In Isaiah chapter 6 verses 8 to 10 we read, And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? 
Then I said, Here am I, send me. And he said, Go, and tell this people, Hear ye indeed, but understand not, and see ye indeed, but perceive not. Make the heart of this people fat, and make their ears heavy, and shut their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn again and be healed. Here we are distinctly told it is the Lord, and the context shows that the Lord is the Lord Jehovah who is speaking. But when we turn to Acts chapter 28, verses 25 and 27, we read these words. And when they agreed not among themselves, they departed after that Paul had spoken one word, while well spake the Holy Spirit through Isaiah the prophet unto your fathers. Notice that in the passage in Isaiah we are told that it is the Lord Jehovah who spoke, and here we are told by Paul that it is the Holy Spirit who spake through the prophet, saying, Go thou unto this people, and say, By hearing ye shall hear, and shall in no wise understand, and seeing ye shall see, and shall in no wise perceive. For this people's heart is waxed gross, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest haply they should perceive with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and should turn again, and I should heal them. In the one place, the place in the Old Testament, we are told that the Lord Jehovah is the speaker. In the other place, in the New Testament, we are told that the Holy Spirit is the speaker. That is to say, the Holy Spirit occupies the place in the New Testament thought that the Lord Jehovah occupies in Old Testament thought. It is noticeable that this same passage in another place is applied to Jesus Christ, John chapter 12, verses 39 to 41. May it not be that in the threefold holy in the seraphic cry recorded in this chapter in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 6, verse 3, we have a hint of the tripersonality of Jehovah of hosts, and hence the propriety of the threefold application of the vision? Another illustration of a statement, which in the Old Testament is given as referring to Jehovah, being applied to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament, is found by a comparison of Exodus chapter 16, verse 7, with Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 9. In Exodus chapter 16, verse 7, we read, And in the morning, then shall ye see the glory of Jehovah, for that he heareth your murmurings against Jehovah. And what are we, that ye murmur against us? Here we are told that the murmuring and provocation of the children of Israel in the wilderness were against Jehovah. But in Hebrews chapter 3, verses 7 to 9, we read, Wherefore, even as the Holy Spirit saith, Today, if ye shall hear his voice, harden not your hearts, as in the provocation, like as in the day of trial in the wilderness, where your fathers tried me by proving me, and saw my works forty years. In this New Testament passage, we are told that it was the Holy Spirit that provoked in the wilderness, making it clear that the Holy Spirit occupies here in the New Testament thought, the position Jehovah occupied in Old Testament thought in Exodus chapter 16, verse 7. To sum up the passages under this head, we see that statements which in the Old Testament distinctly name the Lord, God, or Jehovah, as their subject, are applied to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. That is to say, the Holy Spirit occupies the position of deity in New Testament thought. The fourth way in which the deity of the Holy Spirit is clearly taught in the New Testament is that the name of the Holy Spirit is coupled with that of God the Father in a way that would be impossible for a reverent and thoughtful mind to couple the names of any finite being with that of deity. There are numerous illustrations of this. Three will answer for our present purpose. We read, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-6, to 6, Now there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are diversities of ministrations, and the same Lord, and there are diversities of workings, but the same God, who worketh all things in all. 
in this passage we see the name of the holy spirit coupled with that of god and of the lord in a way which it would be impossible for an intelligent worshipper of god to couple the name of any finite being with that of the deity we see the same thing again in matthew chapter 28 verse 19 go therefore and make disciples of all the nations baptizing them into the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit if the holy spirit is not god it would be shocking to couple his name in this way with that of god the father and of the lord jesus his son another striking illustration is found in second corinthians chapter 13 verse 14 the grace of the lord jesus christ and the love of god and the communion of the holy spirit be with you all here the name of the holy spirit is coupled on a ground of equality with that of the father and of the son in all these passages the name of the holy spirit is coupled with that of god in a way in which it would be impossible for a reverent thoughtful mind to couple the name of any finite being with that of deity the fifth and last and if possible most decisive way in which the deity of the holy spirit is taught in the bible is that the holy spirit in so many words is called god this we find in acts chapter 5 verses 3 and 4 but peter said ananias why hath satan filled thy heart to lie to the holy spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land while it remained did it not remain thine own and after it was sold was it not in thy power how is it that thou hast conceived this thing in thy heart thou hast not lied unto men but unto god in the third verse we are distinctly told that it was to the holy spirit to whom ananias lied in the fourth verse we are told that it was to god that ananias lied putting the two statements together it is evident that the holy spirit is god to sum up all that we have said under the head of the deity of the holy spirit we see that by the ascription of all the distinctly divine attributes and several distinctively divine works by referring statements which in the old testament distinctly named jehovah the lord or god as their subject to the holy spirit in the new testament by coupling the name of the holy spirit with that of god in a way in which it would be impossible to couple the name of any finite being with that of deity by calling the holy spirit god in all these unmistakable ways god in his word distinctly proclaims that the holy spirit is a divine person it is absolutely impossible for anyone to go to the bible to find out what it actually teaches and not merely to twist and distort it to fit into his own preconceived notions and come to any other conclusion but that the holy spirit is a divine person that he is god two the distinction between the father the son and the holy spirit but now we come to the question is the holy spirit a distinct personality from the father and the son he might be a person as we have clearly seen that he is and he might be a divine person as we have just seen that he is and at the same time he might be only the same person who manifested himself at times as the father and at other times as the son and in that case there would not be three divine persons in the godhead but one divine person who variously manifested himself as father son and holy spirit so the question that now confronts us is is the holy spirit a distinct personality separate and distinct from the father and from the son this question is plainly answered in various passages in the new testament we find this question answered in the first place in john chapter 14 verse 26 and john chapter 15 verse 26 in john chapter 14 verse 26 we read but the comforter even the holy spirit whom the father will send in my name he shall teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that i said unto you in john chapter 15 verse 26 we read but when the comforter is come whom i will send unto you from the father even the spirit of truth 
which proceedeth from the Father, he shall bear witness of me. In both of these passages we are told that the Holy Spirit is an entirely distinct personality from the Father and the Son, that he is sent from the Father by the Son. We are elsewhere taught that Jesus Christ was sent by the Father, John chapter 6 verse 29, chapter 8 verse 29 and 42. It is as clear as language can make in these passages that Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are not one and the same person manifesting himself in three different forms, but that they are three distinct personalities. We find clear proof that the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are three distinct personalities in John chapter 16, verse 13, where we read, Howbeit when he, the Spirit of truth, is come, he shall guide you into all truth, for he shall not speak from himself, but what things soever he shall hear, these shall he speak, and he shall declare unto you the things that are to come. In this passage, the clearest possible distinction is drawn between the Holy Spirit, who speaks, and the one from whom he speaks. And we are told in so many words that this one from whom he speaks is not himself, but another. In the next verse, the same thought is brought out in still another way. In this verse, John chapter 16, verse 14, we read, he shall glorify me, for he shall take of mine, and shall declare it unto you. Here the clearest distinction is drawn between he, the Holy Spirit, and me, Jesus Christ. It is the work of the Holy Spirit not to glorify himself, but another, and this other is Jesus Christ. And he takes what belongs to another, that is, to Christ, and declares it unto believers. It would be impossible to express in human language a distinction between two personalities more plainly then the distinction between the Son and the Holy Ghost is expressed in this verse. The distinction between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is very clearly brought out in Luke chapter 3, verse 21 and 22. Now it came to pass, when all the people were baptized, that Jesus, also having been baptized and praying, the heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended in a bodily form, as a dove, upon him, and a voice came out of heaven, Thou art my beloved Son, in thee I am well pleased. Here a clear distinction is drawn between Jesus Christ, who is on the earth, and the Father who spake to him from heaven, and the Holy Spirit who descended in bodily form, as a dove from the Father upon the Son. Still another striking illustration is found in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Go ye therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Here a clear distinction is drawn between the name of the Father and the name of the Son and the name of the Holy Spirit. A very striking setting forth of a clear distinction between the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit is found in John chapter 14, verses 16 and 17. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. Here the clearest possible distinction is drawn between the Son who prays and the Father to whom he prays, and another Comforter, who is given in answer to his prayer. Nothing could possibly be plainer than the distinction that Jesus Christ draws in this passage between himself and the Father and the Holy Spirit. We find the same thing again in John chapter 16, verse 7. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is expedient for you that I go away, for if I go not away, the Comforter will not come unto you, but if I go, I will send him unto you. Here the Lord Jesus himself draws a clear distinction between himself, who is about to go away, and the Holy Spirit, the other comforter who is coming to take his place after he has gone away. The same thing is brought out again in Peter's sermon on the day of Pentecost, in Acts chapter 2, verse 33, where Peter is recorded as saying, 
being therefore by the right hand of god exalted and having received of the father the promise of the holy spirit he hath poured forth this which ye see and hear here a clear distinction is drawn between the son exalted to the right hand of the father and the father himself and the holy spirit whom the son receives from the father and sheds upon the church to sum up all under this head again and again the bible draws the clearest possible distinction between the holy spirit and the father and the son they are three separate personalities having mutual relations to one another acting upon one another speaking of or to one another applying the pronouns of the second and third persons to one another we have seen that the bible makes it plain that the holy spirit is a divine person and that he is an entirely separate personality from the father and from the son in other words there are three divine persons in the godhead it has oftentimes been said that the doctrine of the trinity is not taught in the bible it is true that the doctrine of the trinity is not directly taught in the bible in so many words but the doctrine of the trinity is simply the putting together of truths that are clearly and unmistakably taught in the bible it is clearly taught in the bible that there is but one god deuteronomy chapter six verse four but it is taught with equal clearness as we have seen to-day that there are three divine persons the father the son and the holy ghost and the doctrine of the trinity is the putting together of these truths which are taught with equal plainness but some one may ask how can god be three and one at the same time the answer to this question is very simple and easily understandable he cannot be three in one in the same sense nor does the bible teach that he is but in what sense can he be three and one a perfectly satisfactory answer to this question is manifestly impossible from the very nature of the case first because god is spirit and numbers belong primarily to the physical world and difficulty must always arise when we attempt to conceive of spiritual being in the forms of physical thought in the second place a perfectly satisfactory answer to the question is impossible because god is infinite and we are finite god dwells in the light that no man can approach unto and our attempts at a philosophical explanation of the trinity is an attempt to put the facts of infinite being into the forms of finite thought and of necessity such an attempt can at the very best be only partially successful this much we know that god is essentially one and also that there are three persons in this one godhead there is but one god but this one god makes himself known to us as three distinct persons father son and holy spirit there is one god eternally existing and manifesting himself in three persons father son and holy spirit if we were to go into the realm of philosophy it could be shown that from the very necessities of the case that if god were to be god there must be in the eternal godhead before the creation of finite beings a multiplicity of persons for otherwise god could not love for there would be no one to love and therefore god could not be god the ease with which one can grasp the unitarian conception of god is not in its favor but against it any god who could be thoroughly comprehended by a finite mind would not be an infinite god it would be impossible for a thoroughly intelligent mind to really worship a god whom he could thoroughly understand if god is to be really god he must be beyond our complete understanding the doctrine of the trinity is not merely a speculative doctrine it is a doctrine of tremendous daily practical importance it enters the very warp and woof of our experience if our experience is a truly christian experience for example in our prayer we need god the father to whom we pray we need god the son through whom we pray 
we need God the Holy Spirit, in whom we pray. So also in our worship we need God the Father, the very center of our worship. We need the Son, through whom we approach Him in our worship, and we need to worship by the Holy Spirit. But all three, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, are the objects of our worship. The long-meter doxology is thoroughly Christian in its worship when it sings, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. Praise Him above, ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. And so, also, is the Gloria Patri, the words of which we so often sing, but the thought of which we so seldom grasp. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen. End of chapter 7